a.m. So I hope to see you guys there. Luke chapter 18, verse 1 through 8. We're walking through a study on the parables this summer. And this is a well-known parable of the persistent widow and unjust judge. And he, that's Jesus, told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused. But afterward, he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice, so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, Will he find faith on earth? Let's pray. And as we go into a time of prayer, I just want you to take a moment and invite the Lord to speak to you through these words, through this parable. You might just ask the Lord to help you see your life inside this story. How it is he would call you to adjust and change to his word to what it says about him, to what it says about you. Lord, I'm reminded of the writer of Ecclesiastes' words, that you're God in heaven and we are on earth. So, it would be good that we let our words be few and we tune our ears to what you want to say. And Lord, we, we ask that through this time as we consider your word that you would grant us ears to hear. Lord, we confess, Lord, that there's a spiritual weakness in our lives. A weakness to our vitality, a weakness to our witness in this world. Lord, we fall so short of being the sort of ambassadors that you've called us to be, of living the kind of lives that you've directed us to live. And, and God, we just ask that somehow you would tune us in to the power from your spirit that you offer as we draw near to you in prayer. And so God, we ask even now that you might do that for us, that you might empower us through your word to humble ourselves, to repent, to, to hunger for something more in our lives. Lord, would you work in us in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I, I so appreciate the, uh, the team that comes in every Sunday morning and sets things up for us for worship on Sundays. Uh, yeah, you could probably uh, show your appreciation to them. 
This morning we got started about a half hour late uh, and, and getting set up and it was uh, actually the most relaxing setup morning we've had since we moved into the new space. Uh, some of that was because we had a great deal of our stuff set up before we got in. But uh, if you've been around and you've been on the setup team, particularly if you've worked on the audiovisual team or the music team, you know how challenging uh, setting up can be. And uh, it's amazing because uh, for, we've, been doing, we've been setting up as a church for 15 years now or more than that uh, and uh, doing that week after week. And you come to realize that when you're involved that we have the same sort of problems over and over again. Uh, you know, at first you think when something isn't working on stage or the band is starting to rehearse and they can't hear things, your first thoughts are, you know, something's broke. And, uh, you know, maybe the equipment we have is broke, it's gone bad, uh, this thing that doesn't work, and, and, and we do that, and we, you start, you know, sort of complaining or thinking, oh, the microphone's bad, or the guitar's bad, or that cable's bad. Uh, and I've realized over and over that about 90% of the problems that we have are turning items off and on. And I know that sounds funny, and I don't say that to embarrass the AV team at all. It's, it's sort of like in life, you know, the, the, a lot of times you can think that you're all ready to go, but you're not plugged into what really powers you up. And, and uh, you know, every week as we're here, when something's not, go, not working right, the first thing I ask is, did we actually turn the speaker on? Is the microphone on? Is it plugged in to the power source? Is the power source on? Because by the time you just check on whether we're plugged into the power, usually you've solved the problem. I want to say, you know, that's like a microcosm of what churches are like. You see, we've got, and, and what, we are, what we're like as Christians, we, we've got all of these challenges and problems in our life. We, we go through and we try to begin to solve these problems and come up with strategies about how to address the things that aren't working in our life or working in our families or working in our communities or working out our jobs. And, and, and we've got all these ideas about what we might do and how we might fix all these problems. But there's one thing that I think, uh, as I've looked across our church, as I've looked at my own life, and I'm going to be preaching to the choir a lot today, and as I've looked at Christians uh, across our state and country, there's one thing that, that we're not terribly uh, convinced that we need to do, and that's plug into the genuine power source of prayer. For all the solutions that we've tried, it doesn't feel like we're in a generation where we're becoming more convinced that what we really need is God's power. And that we have it. If we're willing to humble ourselves and pray. I think if we all considered our prayer lives, as I talk about people about growth and discipleship, there are few people who look at their prayer life as the, most, the, the strongest part of their spiritual life. But yet when things are going wrong or, or we're, we're not making the impact we'd like to make or uh, there's not the sort of harmony in our relationships we would like to see, we quickly turn to other things than God. And certainly other activities than prayer. And so this morning we're going to talk about dependent prayer and being plugged in to the power of God. And, and, and this parable really brings us face to face with some really important ideas uh, about prayer that we need to consider 
And I just want you to get, a, get your head around the main idea from the beginning. The main idea this parable is showing us is that dependent prayer is the key to not losing heart spiritually. To not losing heart in a world that runs contrary to God's kingdom. You see, we're constantly inundated with messages and challenges that are contrary to the ways of God's kingdom. And living a life of discipleship to Jesus Christ is a counter-cultural decision. It goes against the grains of what others will say to you, and we're often ourselves convinced of, will work in life. But, dependent, but, but the problem is, what, what I find is for all of our strategies, many Christians have lost heart that they can ever see the power of God manifest in their lives in the land of the living. <laughs> that right now, in our time, in this season of our church's life, that we could see a move of God. Do you remember a time in your life where you believed that God could change things? Was there a time in your life in the past where you were more confident that if we sought the Lord, that things would happen that we had never anticipated? That the Lord desired to move in your life individually and bring change and use you powerfully. But yet, somewhere along the way, you lost heart. You lost heart, and you may not even remember when it happened. Disappointing experience. Falling into temptation again. One too many times. And you stopped dreaming about what God could do because of what you had done. Because of the limitations of what you've seen in yourself. And yet, God has invited us to something greater. And I worry that we have lost heart. I worry at times that somehow and in some way I've lost heart to call on the Lord for that kind of work in our church, in our lives, that we would see in a real sense, no joking, a genuine revival where God uses me and uses you and this church together to reach more people in this community genuinely reach them with the gospel of Jesus in a way that would transform them, that would go way beyond our imagination and way beyond our control. I don't know about you, but I want to be a part of something like that. And I worry that I've lost heart in the midst of the effort, in the midst of the challenges, in the midst of all the things that can go wrong as we walk in a world that is contrary to this happening. We can lose heart. And so today, I want to invite you to consider whether you've lost heart and what the solution is that Jesus offers. You see, he says that dependent prayer is the key to not losing heart in a world that runs contrary to God's kingdom. I want you to notice that main point in the text, that Luke, the gospel writer, verse 1, look closely uh, with me, Luke he interprets this parable for us. Many times we have to go and, oh, it's, what's the point that Jesus is making in the parable? Well, Luke, the writer, has given us the parable, but before he even do, he tells us the parable, he says, hey, here's what I want you to know this is about. So bottom line up front, he says, he told them a parable to the effect so that it would have the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. That they ought always to pray and not 
lose heart. He wants his disciples to be prepared to always pray and never lose heart. You see, always praying, a constancy in prayer, is the flip side to never losing heart. The way it's worded here, it shows that, the, that, that you really have a choice between one or the other. You're going to lose heart because you're disconnected from what God is doing around you, in you, in the world. You're lacking power to step into it because you lack confidence that He's there. You're going to lose heart or you're going to pray. Or you're going to pray and you're going to begin to discover that you need more fervency, that you really haven't sought the Lord the way that you would like to think you have. You've been willing to give up way too easy, but you're going to discover that God is waiting there to meet you with grace and power, transformation, and hope. You see, this is what is going on. It seems that Jesus sees this sort of praying that he is encouraging us to engage in as the protection against losing heart. If we're not going to lose heart, we have to learn to pray. It's that simple. Church, if we're not going to lose heart in our lives and in our mission, we have to learn to pray. And we haven't learned to pray. Like whatever we think we've learned about prayer, we have not learned the lesson. We need to learn about prayer. We have to learn to pray. I'm not saying that to come at you on this early Sunday morning. But I'm just saying that in 10 years of observation about my life, about this community, and if there's something that we could call on God to do, it would be that He would deepen our passion for prayer to see His power moving in and through our lives. That we would learn to pray. Now the context of this passage tells us that Jesus is concerned that rather than trust His promises and live lives of radical love, which is captured in him saying things right before this in chapter 17, uh, like uh, that it's captured in him saying like, as disciples, really it looks like whoever loses his life for my sake will truly find it. These are the kind of lives he's calling us to, right? He's saying, he's saying this is the way to life. You know, laying down your life, sacrificing yourself, walking in, in radical love and obedience to God is the way to find your life, but it's going to feel like losing it and you're going to be tempted to lose heart unless you pray. You see, Jesus thinks we have a danger of losing heart to pursue The high calling we have in Christ Jesus. That our lives will look no different in their priorities or their values from the world around us. He says, like in the time of Noah, we'll make life about continuing to eat and drink and marry and go on with no concern for eternity and the coming judgment of God that we face and people face in their lives and no concern that every person could have hope in the gospel of Jesus. But hey, we lived our lives, we gathered our things, we bought our security, just like everyone else, because things just keep rolling on. And we forget, because we lose heart, that God has a bigger mission and purpose for us. And I wonder if you lost heart. Jesus is saying, if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, there's a chance you will find yourself at odds with the world and its values, its purposes, 
And you'll lose heart unless you pray with a sense of persistence for God to show His kingdom through your life and to the world in a way that you can really see it. Where you would see it in your life. You see, prayer trains us and teaches us to see life in God differently. And in doing so, it gives us the necessary gift and endurance when we might otherwise give up or lose heart. How does it do that? Well, the passage shows us three ways that dependent prayer is the key to not lose heart in a world that is contrary to God's kingdom. And the first one is this. Dependent prayer reminds us of our weakness. Dependent prayer reminds us of our weakness. I want to venture to say, if you find in your life that you're not very prayerful, that it's likely that you think you're stronger than you are. You see, this is the spiritual principle that's, that's really clear in this passage. Uh, if we were to try to put this in a simple idea, the text shows us that in prayer, we are simultaneously weak and powerful. That true powerful is found in the knowledge of our weakness coming to the power of God in prayer. That all other confidence of strength is foolishness and a mirage. And so that means that the reason we don't pray is because we think we're strong. So, so that's, this is the first thing that Jesus really goes, goes after here. The idea shows up in Jesus choosing to place us. If we were to kind of to read ourselves into this story, where are we? What character am I? I'm a helpless widow. See, that's the character. That's where we're to see ourselves. In the, in the person of this, this helpless widow. Now, if you don't understand, widows in ancient times were in the most vulnerable position societally that anyone could be in. It wasn't easy for them to take care of themselves. They were on the mercy often of other people. And they... they they couldn't easily defend themselves. They didn't have the power socially often to protect what was theirs. And so he, he shows us in this picture of the widow a sense of weakness. I mean, think about the way the story plays out. There's, there's nothing else the widow can do. You see, the reason the widow is going back to the judge endlessly is because the widow doesn't have people that can just sort of guard what are hers, that she can go take what belongs to her by force. She has no other strategy except that someone more powerful than her would intervene. This is the widow. So what's going on here is that we realize in this passage that there's nothing the widow can do to meet the challenge of her adversary. And that is us, church. Listen, we have nothing that, of our, that, that can win spiritual battles in the world that can be done through great strategy alone. You know, we look at, look at the church and we say, oh, look at the resources all across the church. And listen, I, I think it's important that we think about our gifts and we bring them to the table. But I think we believe we've got more gifts than we really do. It doesn't look like it really works. <laughs> You see, this is the challenge, right? Obedience to God does not work practically in many situations in the world. I don't know if you've noticed that, but if it's new to you, I just want to convince you that, that if we walk in obedience to God, that we are going to not experience necessarily fruitfulness in the world. 
Sometimes we think if we'll just get better, everybody will like us. All will go well. We won't have any problems. And Jesus is really saying that obedience to God runs so contrary to the expectations, you might even have your expectations set radically wrong, that, that, that we're going to have to learn to persist in prayer and await God's vindication for the kind of life he calls us to. And so these are prayers to, to say, Lord, I'm willing to obey you. I'm going to walk in obedience and I am waiting for you to vindicate your people. To vindicate obedience to your word. And in a sense, we see that that both ultimately comes in the resurrection, in the end. But it also comes by grace in times where God shows up in the here and now in our lives in special ways as we walk in obedience to Him and He provides for us to provide grace and daily bread in times of need as we devote ourselves to Him. And He says this kind of praying that we would, we would continue on by faith in the mission that he's called us to, continue on in a period of difficult obedience in our life to keep what he has instructed, continue on when we face adversity or maybe even in the future persecution that we would say, I'm awaiting the Lord's vindication rather than adjusting myself now to giving myself success. I'm going to pray and wait on the Lord. And he says that kind of praying requires persistence. It requires waiting, trusting God's timing, believing that God is good. I can remember a good example of this I've seen in the past few years. After a long period of praying uh, for Noah Clifton, many of you guys know Noah, uh, to come to faith, uh, in his late teenage years, many of us rejoiced when God worked powerfully and clearly in his life. Well, soon after Noah came to faith, uh, he knew that he wanted to see one specific thing happen. He wanted Cale Davis to get saved. Uh, you got Cody Davis, of course, works here and is a church planning resident with us. Uh, his brother Cale's been around for the summer working with Pastor Clint and hanging out. Um, and, you know, like, like many other young men, he grew up in the church and grew up with Noah, and uh, as he got into his early, late, late high school years, early college, he wasn't walking with the Lord, really didn't have uh, much interest, at least outwardly, in knowing the Lord, walking away from, from all of those things, and seemed to be just sort of headed on a path away from God. He knew he wasn't a Christian, really, at that point. And, and uh, Noah had recently become a Christian, and the one thing he knew that he could do is he could pray for Kale. He wasn't confident that his conversations with Kale were having much impact or would have that much impact, or even that he had the strategy or skill to convince Kale that the road he was walking down wasn't a good one. And so he began to pray, and he set an alarm. Uh, Kale's birthday is April 20th, 420. And so he set an alarm on his phone for every day at 420 to stop what he was doing, no matter where he was, and pray for Kale. And before long, of course, those of us who know him and hang out with him 
uh, we noticed he was stopping at 420 and praying for Kale. I was like, oh, well, that seems like a great idea. And there's other people put in their phone, the alarm, let's pray for Kale. We'll pray for Kale to become a Christian. And, and in many ways, I think during that time, Kale's heart looked harder and more resistant. And, uh, and so before long, there's, just, there's dozens of people stopping at 420, persisting daily, praying for Kale. Lord, we don't know how you're going to do it, but right now, wherever he's at, would you just... Would you just intervene in his life? Would you get his attention? Would you draw him to yourself? And that continued on and on and on. And all of a sudden, one evening in a conversation with Alex Chapman, Kale got saved. He got saved, and there was incredible rejoicing. And we had experienced God together. <laughs> and it was, in a way, it felt like it was out of nowhere. But see, God can work when we aren't present. God can work in ways that we don't see, but, but there's something of a lesson in there of persistence in prayer. We saw the Lord through persistent prayer because we believed that we didn't have the power to do it in any way else. Listen, sometimes the Lord lingers long and we're unsure. But Jesus is convinced that through persistent prayer that longs to see God's glory displayed in and through our lives, we will learn to not lose heart. That moments like that will fuel other moments where we persist in prayer about what God might do. We might begin to believe uh, that, that there's someone in our life that we would pray for like that. Or a situation in our lives where we need to God, God to show up and really work in a powerful way. So what are you persisting in prayer for? What would happen if God answered your most persistent prayers? I worry that for many of us, it would simply mean that we would be safe, happy, and rich. Because it sounds like much of our praying is aimed at that sort of thing. When Jesus said we need to learn to lay our lives down to see real life spring up. Are you praying for anything that would make a difference in God's kingdom? Praying with persistence. Now ultimately, dependent prayer, the last part Jesus ends with, it reveals to us God's willingness. What dependent prayer, persistent prayer, prayer from a place of weakness, what it does is it reveals in time to us God's genuine heart. I think for some of us, we really need to experience that. And God's invitation is for us to begin to really call on Him. When I was seven or eight years old, I could not think of anything but baseball. It was, that was it. All I wanted to do all day, every day, was play baseball. I can remember that uh, as a kid, coming home from vacation, it was August, that we stopped at a sporting goods store on the way home from vacation, and I saw a glove that was like a dream come true. It was a Louisville Slugger brand glove, and uh, it just it caught my eye, you know, and, and I wanted that glove. Fit perfect in my hand. You know, it was going to be the very thing I needed to get started in my major league career, which I gave up, by the way, to become a pastor, all right? <laughs> Willingly laid it down on the altar, I was batting 110 at the time. But I asked my parents to get this glove for me. I remember asking for it repeatedly in the same store. If you're a parent, you've had this happen. 
And much to my surprise, they gave it to me. I couldn't believe it. I was overjoyed and thrilled. So, so then sometimes shortly after, I'm showing off this glove to my friends and uh, my brothers are around and I explained that I'd worn my parents down and essentially gave them no choice but to get me this glove. My view was that, that I got the glove from argumentative genius and force. Much like the widow with the judge. Now somehow my dad heard about that I've never actually, it's funny, because when I was writing this this week, I was like, I've never actually explored how he found out about that. Because that was a conversation just among the kids. Uh, I'm guessing it was my brother, Brett. And I'm going to name him on the video, just in case he listens to it. Which would be on brand for him to, to put me in a sticky spot. But my dad did not take kindly to finding out that I was talking like I had strong-armed my parents into giving me the glove. First of all, I wasn't that powerful. I wasn't that convincing. I was seven years old. And most of all, they were a lot more generous than that image described. They loved to give us good things. They had given it because they wanted me to have it. Not because I was a good arguer. And now I'm a parent and I understand. In their immaturity, our kids think we don't love to give them good things because there are a great deal of times we have to say no for their own good. And we've convinced ourselves that's true with God. That there's a great deal of times where God has something else that he's doing. And because we've experienced that, we've convinced ourselves that God doesn't rejoice to give us good gifts. To specifically answer our prayers. We pray with a generalism that doesn't believe that we specifically are God's children and that God delights in giving good gifts to us. I love to give good gifts to my children. I hate to see them disappointed or even suffering at times. And when Jesus tells this parable, he's addressing this same foolish immaturity in us. His argument is that persistent, dependent prayer is the key to our perseverance because through it we come to see that God is not the unjust judge but the opposite. The whole argument is that, in this passage, is that if this unjust judge will be affected by persistence, how free will a father who loves us, God himself, who has give, not even withheld his own son, how free will that God be with his generosity in, in fulfilling what would really vindicate our hope in him? You know, if we've put our hope in him, God, he wants to show us and show the world in due time that our hope was placed in the right place that he never fails that we can trust in his word and in his promise you see this is the argument of the text that if this widow will get justice and vindication from the judge for her continual asking how much more should we come and appeal to the throne of grace where we have been welcomed by our father to find all that we need in every season 
This is a parable about the heart of God. His delays do not come because he doesn't care, but because he does. And we just don't yet understand. His fatherly heart doesn't find joy in delay as we languish spiritually. He comes with more grace for the moment and answers that are timely. And Jesus wants us to pray with hope because he is the contrast to the unjust judge. He is our father who delights in vindicating our hope in him. So Jesus ends by asking the question, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? It seems like a strange question. But it's coming from his own place of looking ahead at the contrast between a life fulfilling God's will and the life the world around us tells us to pursue and put our hope in. You see the path for Jesus? The righteous one? In tune with God would require entire weakness and patience while waiting for his heavenly father to vindicate his sacrifice on the cross. Have you ever thought of the way that prayer from a place of weakness imitates the cross that has saved us? That Jesus enters into total weakness more weak than a widow Nailed to a cross for you. Blood spilled out. Final breath saying, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he waits. And he waits. Those walking by think of it as foolishness. Nobody can comprehend. They think it's a failure. Some of the disciples go back to their old lives fishing. But God raises his son from the dead to grant to us the good gifts of forgiveness and salvation and hope and to forever convince us that there is no reason for us to lose heart because death cannot steal what God intends to give. Do you pray of hope like that? Knowing death, even death, cannot steal what God intends to give of His promises? If we persisted in prayer like that and waited on the Lord, I believe we will see far and away more than we could ever expect of God's activity in the, this life and in the next, we will know with absolute vindication that it was worth it. As we see the risen Christ, and as he welcomes us into the kingdom of his joy, as he has overcome every adversary and given us peace. Let's be a people like that, that pray like that. Let's call on the Lord. Let's seek him. Now let's begin to even do it now. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes as we come to this time and invite the worship team to come back up. And while they're coming up, I want you to just take a moment with the Lord right there where you're see seated. A moment with the Lord. What do you need to bring to Him? What do you need to pray for?
How do you need him to show up in your life this week, this season? So maybe you're here and you're, you're not even sure that you're a Christian. You're not sure you believe these things that we're talking about and singing about. Maybe you just need to begin to say, Lord, reveal yourself to me. I want to know you. If you're there, Lord, would you give me confidence to trust you? Some of you have tried a lot of strategies in your life to fix problems and things that are going on right now. If you haven't yet figured out how to entrust, genuinely entrust yourself in that situation that is plaguing you to the Lord, can you begin right now in a moment of weakness and vulnerability to just voice that to the Lord and say, Lord, I need you. Every hour, I need you. You're my one defense, my righteousness. And Lord, right now, in this area, this moment of my life, just asking for you to show up in a fresh way. 